Well, it's good to be with you again. Uh, and as usual, when you come up here, you realise there's two congregations uh, and not just one. Uh, you've got the lower, sorry about that, and you've got the higher. Um, well, now, we're going to be thinking about uh, uh, church leadership and particularly the area of elders. A few things to say before we dig into some of this. And uh, I've got a PowerPoint today, which is unusual for me, um, but I thought it would be useful to have this. Um, we've just been hearing about persecuted churches. Interesting, the world over, hist history over, uh, leaders in churches have often borne the brunt of um, persecution and trial and trouble. Uh, and it's very often the, the pastors and elders that experience great difficulty. It's worth bearing that in mind. And that's the way the Lord Jesus said it would be. So if the shepherd is protecting the flock from the wolves, then there is danger. It's also worth uh, remembering that when we come to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus, we're dealing with uh, part of the New Testament that's fairly long down the line historically. So there is an element of preparing the church for the future. And that's why it deals with leadership. Um, the apostles were men. They only had a, the usual lifespan and uh, the church had to be prepared for the future. And so Paul, uh, in this area, gives instruction to Timothy, who's his delegate and representative to Ephesus, and Titus is in Crete, uh, two very different situations, one a very well-established church, another one that seems to be still being in, the, in development. And so he's got to ordain elders there. There's no mention of deacons in Titus, but there is, of course. Uh, we're not looking at deacons, but... Uh, and then we're going to have a question time and afterwards. And it's impossible to deal with all of these aspects in one session. But nevertheless, I want to give you the big picture. And I hope it'll be a clear picture and one that will help you to think about uh, the, the issues. Um, another thing to remember is this, that... When it comes to the church generally, the church is counter-cultural. There's a certain sense in which Christians are to be part of their community in every sense, just generally speaking. But there's always going to be a sense in which they're different and even bring ridicule and criticism and opposition from those around them. And that is also the case in terms of Christian leadership. So if you go back into the, the Gospels and see some of the things that Jesus said about what is required of those who lead, then you will see that it's very different from the world's idea of leadership. Now, leadership itself is a big subject. Um, I have to confess, I wasn't ever really a fan of Sir Alex Ferguson. But when I read his book on leadership, I found it really engaging. Uh, I would recommend it. And uh, all sorts of interesting. Now I realize that's professional sport at the highest level, but Alex Ferguson's book on leadership is, has got lots of really interesting things. And some of those are transferable in every situation, including the church. Um, there are other aspects that you wouldn't really want to transfer to the church, but nevertheless, that's the world of professional sport, which is very, very demanding as we know. So let's just think then about the big picture. And uh, 
If you want to make a little note of any question on anything that I might say, or it might be that there's something that I don't even touch on at all, that can come up on the question time and we'll see if we can give at least some pointer to that. Now, the outline is very simple. And it's based on the shape of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And that is that you will immediately see from the reading a huge uh, emphasis on character. The character of those who lead. Now, let me just say, just get this little bit to one side because it's helpful. The term elder... The term overseer, or if you've got an authorized version, bishop, that's how it translates, we have the word overseer, and the word pastor are all interchangeable. Just be aware of that. Elder presbuteros is the Greek, the Greek term. Overseer episkopos is the Greek term from which we get the term episcopal which is really the rule of bishops, but that's a historical development. And then the term shepherd or pastor. And these are all used interchangeably. So it's worth remembering that. Um, And it's something that's been recovered a lot in recent years in, in, in biblical understanding. So the character is really important, but then the calling itself, what, what is the calling? What, what are they supposed to do? And then I've included Peter's counsel because in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll finish with that little passage at the end, um, he's got some very specific counsel, perfectly harmonious with all that Paul says, with all that the Lord Jesus says in different parts of, of, the, um, of the New Testament. So the, the big passages are 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. But if you were exploring this more broadly... I put a string of passages underneath there, John chapter 10. What's that? That's the passage of the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. And if you look at the whole chapter, you there have the model par excellence for a shepherd, for a pastor, for an elder. Acts chapter 20 uh, is the passage, and we looked at this on the council together a few weeks ago, and uh, and meditated a little bit upon that incident where Paul, the apostle, is on his way to Jerusalem. He calls the elders of the Ephesian church to meet him, and they have a meeting together, and he counsels them, and he encourages them, and he challenges them. And if you look at that passage, you see Paul's example of what it means to be a pastor, an elder, an overseer. Yes, he's an apostle, That's an extra dimension. But the basic character and the basic calling are exactly the same. Ephesians 4, I will put up a passage from there. There's an important reference or two there. And that's the context of Jesus giving gifts to his church. And 1 Timothy 5, which is not the main passage we're looking at, there's another statement there about elders. In fact, a couple of very important statements Uh, And I'll cite those a little bit later. And then, of course, 1 Peter 5. So if you look at those passages there, uh, you've got a very important chunk of New Testament teaching on elders, pastors, and so on. So let's move on to the first part. And I want to just look again at the reading. 
Um, if we can have the next slide up. And that is the, 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 the passage that we had. Um, just want to emphasize one or two things. I'm not going to read the whole passage again, but you'll notice the emphasis on character. And, and you'll notice the way it's framed. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It's very important. Therefore, and then he launches into the character qualifications. And uh, they're pretty comprehensive. And you'll notice, too, at the very end of the passage, there's a couple of references to the devil. So it is in the context of spiritual warfare. You need leadership. Leadership is needed across the board in every aspect of society. Leadership, leadership, leadership. And uh, one of the other little books on leadership that I have is um, called Stand Up Straight. And it's by a military officer in the British Army, and it's kind of the rules and the thinking of Sandhurst, the military academy. And we have a young man in our church in Brighouse who, who now commands a bunch of Marines and went through Sandhurst and uh, learned lots of principles of leadership. But notice too the reference to God's church. Let's have the next slide. Because uh, we've just had these two readings, so I want to make a reference or two to them. Um, you'll notice there's one or two slightly different things here, which is interesting because Paul's writing to Titus in Crete, Paul's writing to Timothy in Ephesus, and there's different emphasis, but the basics are ex it's almost exactly the same, but there are one or two significant differences here and there, and um, that is worth noting. But you'll notice as well, in the Timothy passage, the elder must be able to teach. And you'll notice here, and look at verse 9 of the, this passage, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So there's the whole area of having a grasp of the gospel and being able to defend it, to proclaim it, to teach it, and to counter opposition to it. So that's another interesting aspect of the responsibilities. And it is worth remembering that. And it's interesting, we, we had the Apostles' Creed, which is actually based on an old Roman creed that goes sort of probably quite early in the second century. There is, if you like, a little comprehensive view of the truth that is to be defended. And that's what the task is of these men. So let's uh, uh, go up to the next slide. And what you've got here is uh, I've sort of set them side by side, uh, Timothy and Titus, and you'll notice that some of them are very positive and some of them are negative. And you'll notice there are certain things, for example, in 1 Timothy, um, he, he said, not a recent convert. And you'll notice too, uh, over in the Titus passage, what I've just cited, hold firm, the trustworthy word. Um, and what I'm going to do, these are all taken directly from the passage. And you can see that and read that for yourself and become schooled in that. But how do we kind of get a handle on this? Now, it's often said, quite rightly, that if you look at these characters or character qualifications, you think, well, every Christian should be like this. This is what Christians should be like. 
This is the kind of character. And so therefore, that strikes me as saying, yes, there should be Christian character, but it's a matter of degree. And those who are called to lead should exemplify these things. So let's group them all together. And I put it, next slide, please. And I've put it like this, because in a sense, it maybe helps it for it to stick. But if you, if you look at all, if you weigh up Timothy, Titus, and some of the other passages that I've mentioned, you can reduce it down to this list of six things. Maturity, and particularly a degree of spiritual maturity. Uh, elders can be young in years. Timothy was not an old man, an old gray-haired like me. He was a young man, but he was an elder. He was mature. He, he had limitations. Paul cites some of those. And two Timothy's a very much a personal letter to him to encourage him in his leadership. But maturity must be there, particularly spiritual maturity. So an understanding of the gospel, an understanding of the Christian life, uh, uh, a maturity in their character, in their conduct, in the way they see things. Stability. Leaders in every context need to be stable. And uh, you'll know from the sporting context, whether it's football or rugby or whatever, uh, when the going gets tough, it's often the captain uh, or one or two of the older team members that keep it all together. They're stable, they're strong. They don't go to pieces. <laughs> they keep their heads. In fact, at one point, Paul says to Timothy, keep your head in every situation. So there has to be stability. And there has to be reliability. You can't be hit and miss. You can't be, um, you know, all for, all for everything one week and then the next week you can hardly manage to keep it together. There has to be reliability, dependability perhaps. We could also include the same, the same idea. But what about capability? You have to be capable. Um, this comes out in all of these things. For example, handling the Bible, but I want to focus on that particularly in a minute. But capability, that you have to be able to teach. You have to be able to lead. You have to be able to discern. You have to have a level of capability. And then I'm really using a very old-fashioned word here. I've, 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 I've put another word alongside it just so you, you easily get it. Piety, godly. Piety is an old-fashioned word. In fact, it's usually uh, an insult. Oh, he was very pious. But in its proper meaning, piety means devoted to God. And that's what godly means. For those of you who are, who are maybe more experienced students of the New Testament, it might interest you to know that the word that we translate godliness comes more in these letters than anywhere else. There's a, there's a reference in Acts, there's a reference in 1 Peter, um, but, oh, sorry, 2 Peter, but it's godliness is a, is a unique description. And the thing about godliness, we tend to think of godliness as our relationship horizontally to other people. And that is certainly an aspect of godliness, but the primary reference of godliness is devotion to God relationship with God, fellowship with God, reverence for God, doing things with God in mind. 
devoted to God. That's what the word piety means, godly. And then I put fidelity, twofold aspect to this. The general consensus of New Testament scholarship is the expression um, married uh, to one woman, that the underlying expression, the general view is that this, some translations even put it like a one woman man. It means faithfulness in their marriage, if they're married. That does not mean to say that they have to be married. Um, although some traditions have done that, I think the Greek or, Greek or it's interesting, the, 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 the Roman Catholic Church, priests do not marry. In the Orthodox Church, you have to be married to be a priest. It's a very different angle. Uh, but the emphasis here is on a one-woman man. That's, that's, the, that's what the text says. And um, there's that aspect of faithfulness in, in the marriage relationship. And then faithfulness to the gospel and faithfulness, therefore, to God. So in those twin aspects. So if you, if you want to try and summarize the character, this is it. Maturity, stability, reliability, capability, piety, fidelity. Not too difficult to remember, is it? I'll test you out over lunch. But consider, and, and I put a little thing in brackets underneath here, and this is really important, especially when we're trying to assess people, and it's a, it's a hard task, but you've also got to remember your own context, your own church, your own church culture. What do I mean by that? Well, here is Brother X, and he's an elder and very suited to a particular church. But here's another church here somewhere else. And Brother X may not really be up to it there. Churches are different, aren't they? They're different in size. They're different in makeup. They're different in the communities in which they sit. They're different in the emphasis that they have, maybe in the way they do things. So to use a rather crude expression, horses for courses. And, uh, you know, that, 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 you have to remember that. Not every man who is qualified is particularly suited to this or that context. Interesting, isn't it, when you read about Apollos. Apollos in the, in the, um, in the New Testament was a brilliant orator and a master of Old Testament scripture. And he was so impressive that the people in Corinth said, give me Apollos anytime. Now, I'm not too keen on Paul. Give me Apollos, he's brilliant. Interesting, isn't it? Just a different emphasis and the different abilities. But also you have to allow for growth and development in an individual. No one is a finished article, are they? It's impossible. So you, you, you have to allow for the fact that someone is yet growing in grace and in Christ. They're growing in years too. They're growing in wisdom. They're growing in experience. There's no doubt about it that we, we, in, the, in, the, in the realm of sort of the military, veterans have got something over those who are not. In other words, if you've actually been in a real war, if you've really been on the front line, it doesn't matter how brilliantly you're trained, although the training's vital, but it's not the same if you've just been in the training school 
and you've never been on the, the real front line. I was in the Royal Air Force, but I never was in a real conflict, and I'm very glad about that. I was talking to someone on video the other day who's four or five miles from the Russian border, and he's a military chaplain, and uh, he's serving right on the front line, couldn't sleep because of the noise, the gunfire, the explosions. Uh, praise God he's with his family this week and next week back in Kiev. But the real thing. So you have to remember that even an elder might be a young man. He's got to experience things in life yet. He will already experience some. Because you can see the balance in wisdom, by the way, of the plurality of the eldership. Different ages, different experience, different backgrounds. And also you've got to allow for human fallibility. Just because someone's gifted and called and qualified to be a church leader, does that make him perfect? Far from it. In fact, the enemy would love to bring him down. It's a fact. It's true in the real, you know, the world of warfare. It's true in, uh, to a certain extent, it's true in sport. If you can take out your top men, control them, you may control the whole game. Human fallibility. So when you think about the character, that's the broad picture. Okay, let's now think about the calling. And uh, I've got a, a particular um, thing I want to emphasize here because there is, there is a very interesting thread in the teaching about elders, pastors, and so on. Ephesians 4, where actually the context is that the Lord Jesus has ascended and he's poured out gifts on his church to enable the church to function and to grow and to blossom in the world. And this is what he says in Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. That's a sort of a compound idea. The shepherd and teacher. What for? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the leader's role is to build up the body of Christ so that it may minister to each other and to the community around it. And then if you swing across to 1 Timothy 5 on the right-hand side, bottom, uh, the bottom, well, my right. Yeah, it should be right as you look to it, I think. Let the elders who rule well, rule well be counted, considered worthy of double honor. And there's a bit of discussion about what exactly that means. Um, but especially those, now note the distinction here, who labor in preaching and teaching. Back to Ephesians, building up the body of Christ. Back to 1 Timothy 5, who labor in preaching and teaching. Now you go to the center uh, circle there, and you'll see that among the instructions, of, if you combine Timothy and Titus, you get able to teach, holding the word firm, giving instruction, rebuking, and refuting. So you see there's a strong emphasis on preaching and teaching in this role. Now in a team of elders, you may have some who are particularly gifted at teaching and preaching. Or you may have the pastor who's 
primary role is to study and to bring together the word of God and to teach and to feed and to lead and to train others to do that as well. Massive part of the job. And it's true in the life of a church, and uh, I've observed this over the years, and many of you will be well aware of this, some of you might not, it is actually the, the, the Sunday, which is well, the, I mean, if you take it, this church, the biggest number of people gather on a Sunday morning. And it's the preaching and teaching of God's word that energizes the church, instructs the church, and uh, prepares it for its life in and through the week. Just think of the diversity of situations you're all facing tomorrow morning. And it's this time before the word of God that will strengthen you and help you in that task, in all the life situations. And by the way, sometimes too, yes, we, we sometimes subtly d- d- make a distinction. Oh, there's the pastoral work and there's the preaching. To a certain extent, that is true. But what you have to remember is the principal duty of the pastoral work is to personally apply the word of God. That's pastoral work at its best. When the pastor comes alongside and opens the Bible with someone who's maybe going through a difficult time and working through together how we can handle it and what we can expect from the Lord and so on and so forth. I'm sure you get the picture. So this part of this calling, this is a huge aspect of it. And in a sense, it's, it's kind of central, really. So let's go to the next slide. And I've summed up the calling under five words. Six words for the character, five words for the calling. Leading. Now that in itself is is a huge idea. But to, to, as it were, lead the way. And you have to lead from the front. You can't really lead from the back properly. Feeding. Nourishing. Instruction, guiding. Think about all these different aspects. Guarding. When Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders, what does he say to them? From among you will arise people who will distort the truth. So there's a real need. And let's face it, some of the very fundamental things of Scripture are under attack yet again in our time even what it means to be human so you need to be guarded so a a wrestling with scripture and uh, this is really important in the time in which we live and uh, I suppose that might take on another sense we've just been thinking about the persecuted church you think of the challenge for the leaders there often in great danger, but having to try and guard the church. Now, what do I mean by stirring? (laughs) I don't mean stirring up trouble. That's the last thing I mean. Um, What I mean by that is, it's it's my, just fits in with this, you know, the way I've got these words running. But what I mean by that is stirring it up, stirring the church into action, stirring up people's minds and hearts, And that's where the Bible is so wonderful. And that's where good preaching, that's its its job, is to to energize and enthuse 
as well as instruct. If you like, it's to set the place on fire. And historically, in the life of the church, that is what has happened when the Word of God is preached and taught with real Holy Spirit dependence, seeking the Spirit. Now, notice that I put this against the backdrop of the Good Shepherd model of 10, John 10, and that's what you find, leading and feeding and guiding and guarding and staring. It's all there. And then the apostolic model in Acts 20, it's all there. In fact, one of the things Paul says, look, he said, you know, he said, I have taught you every aspect of God's word that I could. I've taught you publicly. I've taught you privately. The model is there. And that's what we need. Because one of the great emphasis of this church, and it has been throughout the entire history of this church, is that this book is the living word of God. That's why we open it. That's why we reflect on it. We take it from there. Now, that, that, that involves sometimes really hard work because there are difficult passages. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's such a comprehensive book. And we work with translations as well, which brings sometimes significant limitations. So it's, it's to labor in the word is no small thing. So that's it, that the character and the calling, we've kind of boiled it down into those areas. Now, looking at the clock, we, we must go to the, 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 I think this is the last slide, it's Peter's Council. And uh, if you like, this is a third reading. But I want you to listen to these words in the context of all that I've said about the character and the calling of the work of the elder, the pastor, the shepherd, the overseer. So I exhort the elders among you. Now bear in mind, Peter is very much written to persecuted Christians. And uh, he talks about the fiery trial and then he says, as a fellow elder, and that's a beautiful touch, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So you see, New Testament leaders were cross-centered men, Christ-centered men, resurrection men, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. See, Christian leaders deal with long-term issues because the church does. Then he says, this is his first actual instruction. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, you may remember in John 21, Peter had denied the Lord three times and three times the Lord, the risen Lord Jesus said to you, do you love me, Peter? Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. He graciously restored him after his terrible denial. So Peter knows what he's talking about. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. So there's responsibility, leadership, decision-making. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Now, this is a complex area in the New Testament context because 
yes, there was financial support, but also there was the handling of money, which we tend to think of more as a diaconate function. But you see, you find Paul being entrusted with a huge amount of money to take to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And so you had to be trustworthy in money matters, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly giving yourself to the task, glad that you're doing the task for the Lord's sake and for the church's sake. You love the work. Yes, sometimes the work weighs you down heavily. Paul spoke about the care of all the churches that pressed in upon him. Then he says, not domineering over those in your charge. Not being a tyrant. It's a difficult one, you know, because when you have strength of leadership <clears throat> or weakness of leadership, some people will criticize a leader because he's, he's not very weak, he's not very strong, not very decisive, he's weak. If a leader is strong and decisive and knows what he wants to do and where he wants to bring people and how he wants, he's a tyrant. It's a very difficult balancing act. But you need both aspects. You need a leader that will listen or a leadership that will listen. You need a leadership that will lead and make the tough decisions in the difficult times. And then he sums it all up, but being examples to the flock. This is massive. This is massive in the New Testament. Jesus, when he was training the 12, Paul in his counsel to the people like Timothy, his example in the book of Acts where you can follow his travels, um, being an example. Now, you think about the burden of that for your leaders. You want to, you want to see it, but you also want to think of the, example, the burden of that. But that's such an important aspect, being an example. Someone that we can look to and say, that's the direction I want to go. Challenging, isn't it? And then he says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, the Lord Jesus is called the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd. Those are his three great titles in the New Testament. And when the, when the chief shepherd, he's the one who's ultimately in charge. It's his church. He laid down his life for it. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you might be a little bit baffled by some of the things we've been thinking about. Well, you need to get to the chief shepherd and ask him to be your shepherd the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So this is the, this is the perspective. And we think of those, those afflicted brothers and sisters in those countries, those five countries that were spelled out. You know, thank God that there will come a time when they will receive an unfading crown of glory. This is the context in which we work. Now, I hope that's helpful. We'll, what we're going to do, we're going to sing a final hymn, and I'll close in prayer. And I've chosen a hymn which is to do with the church in battle, which, of course, doesn't mean literally in battle. Let's not confuse the language. We're talking about the spiritual battle. Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Now, whilst in one sense that's talking about... Um, just the spiritual warfare generally. I want you to think of it in terms of leaders who lead an army. 
That's one of the images of the church. The warfare, this hymn captures some of, this hymn captures some of the, the true elements of spiritual warfare. So just think of it in that context and let's sing it together. <laughs> 